Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Got one of, one of those stories today that's a little bit different, something that you probably haven't read about, probably something that you haven't heard about. And in isolation, in a vacuum, it might seem like a pretty, pretty small incidental thing that's happened amongst the wash of major breaking news stories, cultural events, worldwide phenomena that we seem to be bombarded with on a daily basis. But sometimes I think it's worth putting a magnifying glass over something that's seemingly small because sometimes when we magnify things and we we look at it pretty closely, it may give us an idea of some broader discussions that are currently going on. And it's easy for these kinds of stories to go by the wayside. And as will be evident by the end of today's show, uh, there is power in storytelling, a dangerous t- a power, some might say, which is why perhaps some are looking to censor people at every given opportunity. By all means, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. If you'd like to, if you enjoy the show, uh, please hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And if you'd like to get in touch, please hit me up on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. So let's rock and roll. Along my travels on the interwebs this morning, amidst the various stories about Paul Manafort, uh, you know, a spacecraft landing on Mars, other big, big, big stories, I came across this in The Guardian with the headline, Graphic novel steeped in Islamophobia pulled after protests. So, of course, with such a incendiary headline, I mean, protests over a novel? Well, this is something I, of course, as, you know, a free speech advocate, someone who appreciates the long, rich history of humanity in storytelling, someone who's very much against perhaps modern reincarnations of book burning like we saw in, well, like we didn't see personally in eras such as the Dark Ages or even Nazi Germany, for example. So, of course, this headline spoke to me as someone who was against all of that. And as I read the article, various things were popping into my head and I wanted to share some of these thoughts with you. So let's go through it. A suicide bomber sits in the library. This is the name of this novel. A controversial new comic that has been described as willfully fear-mongering and spreading harmful stereotypes. So the first thing that occurred to me here is why is it described as a novel in the headline but a comic in the body of the article? Worth considering. I mean, it's either a novel or a comic. has been pulled from publication following a barrage of criticism. The graphic novel written by Newbury Medal winning author Jack Gantos, so this isn't, you know, this isn't a piece of, you know, hate speech propaganda that's put out by some anonymous account online 
constructed for the purposes of, you know, whipping up fear or whipping up anger against a particular marginalised group, allegedly. This is a piece of work that comes from somebody with some some kind of credential, an award-winning author, no less. And illustrated by Sandman artist Dave McKean follows a young brown-skinned would-be terrorist. It was due to be released in 2019. Why you would have to articulate that the would-be terrorist is brown-skinned, I'm not, I'm not sure. Perhaps to put the following criticism, which you're about to hear, into context, maybe? Maybe not. Quote, When a young boy enters a library wearing an explosive vest hidden underneath his lovely new red jacket, he has only one plan on his mind. But as he observes those around him becoming captivated by the books they are reading, the boy can't help but question his reason for being there. Reads a description from its publisher, Abrams. Comics publisher Zanab Akhtar described the comic on Twitter last week as dealing with, quote, an illiterate brown Muslim boy who goes into a library with a suicide bomb only to start having second thoughts because people seem so into the world of books and if only he could read. Because reading will help the ignorant brown Muslim boy question or renounce his beliefs, you see, in addition to being some vague kumbaya about how specific interpretation of culture will save the barbarian, she wrote. This is the publisher, Zainab Akhtar. Now, she did write this on Twitter, and of course, Twitter, as you may well be aware, seems to be the somewhat of an, you know, a representation of the lowest rung of intellectual circles, where the most you know, ridiculous, inane, thoughtless, shallow diatribe is presented to us in its purest distilled form, thanks to the character limit, to be swallowed until our heart's content. So perhaps being constrained by this particular writing environment, the comics publisher in question may have may have liked to have, you know, expanded on these thoughts a little a little bit more eloquently or perhaps provided some kind of worthwhile critique of the work. But I find, you know, this kind of snide dismissal of a book to be, you know, rather inadequate. Because reading will help the young, ignorant Muslim brown boy question and renounce his beliefs, you see, in addition to some vague kumbaya about how specific interpretation of culture will save the barbarian. But if you look at the description of the book, de- describing the, the, you know, the experience of a would-be terrorist going into a library and becoming captivated by how everybody is enjoying reading how everybody is enjoying learning and he can no longer pull the cord because he sees value, he sees a richness in those around him and their experiences that they're having with books, with literacy. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought, I mean, I, I don't think, I know, I've, we've been told for years and years and years and years and years that the key to getting the better of extremism is by what? Education. 
and in in the post enlightenment era of western civilization have we or have we not put education and storytelling to the top of the list hey you know those extremist ideas looking for violence as an answer that's wrong educate yourself surround yourself with great works great artworks great writing great perspectives but this is now described as a would you know kind of casually denounced as a vague kumbaya moment An open letter to Abrams, this is the publisher of the novel slash comic, whichever it is, from the Asian Author Alliance, signed more than a thousand signed by more than a thousand writers, teachers, and readers, called the book, quote, steeped in Islamophobia and profound ignorance. The letter continued. The simple fact is that today the biggest terrorist threat in the US is white supremacy. A suicide bomber sits in the library. Abrams is willfully fear-mongering and spreading harmful stereotypes in a failed attempt to show the power of story. Failed attempt to show the power. Well, it is failed now because the book has been pulled. The book has been effectively no-platformed. But I find it interesting why the need to bring up the biggest terrorist threat in the US as being white supremacy. Why does that change the impact of the story at all? Why does that change the storytelling power of someone who is confronted and engaged with and engulfed by extremist ideas who very much in the tradition of Western civilization post-enlightenment instead falls in love with the power of words, of learning for oneself. Why would that be a harmful stereotype? Of course, people have issues with the way uh, this particular statistic, the biggest biggest terrorist threat in the US is white supremacy. People have brought up before that the way these statistics are gathered, there might be an issue with them, apparently... You know, say a stabbing in prison is considered an act of white supremacist terrorism. And people have asked, well, are those particular statistics necessarily valid? And of course, people make arguments like statistics can be used by either side of politics to push particular agendas. Fine. But let's just say, for for argument's sake, that the, the statistic that the biggest threat in the US is white supremacy, let's just say that that's true. Number one, when you see movies about, you know, skinheads or neo-Nazis, does anybody ever come out and say that this is a dangerous stereotype? That this is harmful? A a willfully fear-mongering piece of claptrap that is spreading harmful stereotypes in a failed attempt to show the power of story? Does anyone ever say that? The other reason that this is a silly argument is, well... Okay, so because this particular character in this particular story is not from the major group by which statistics portray the biggest threat of terrorism, forgetting, of course, that 
in the story, the boy wasn't actually a terrorist in the end. He he was a would-be terrorist, but he didn't actually go through with it. He instead fell in love with books and stories instead. <laughs> so we are only allowed to represent things that are absolutely in the, in the majority statistically. Okay. Does that mean most movies should have white leading characters? Does that mean that we have to only tell stories, you know, say, where the overwhelming majority of men do not engage in domestic abuse or rape, for example? I mean, showing a man as a rapist, this would be a, a willfully ignorant and harmful stereotype, would it not? The guy who illustrated this book, McKean, uh, these are his words. He said in response to somebody who said, quote, a brown boy basically learning all this from a white space. He said in response to that, quote, the premise of the book is that a boy uses his mind and faith to decide for himself that violence is not the right course. Again, why, why is a story with, a, with an obviously positive message, a message of self-learning, a message of discovery, a message of enlightenment, a message of turning away from dangerous extremist dogmas? Why would this, or what planet could this be considered a harmful stereotype? How would this be doing harm to the community? to present such a positive outcome. On Monday, on Monday, McKean told The Guardian he felt it was, quote, absolutely the right decision to bin the book. A few factors changed from the initiation of the project until now. I'm sure we will have all of our own thoughts to take away from all of this. I already had my doubts that a story like this should come from outside the community involved and the arguments on Twitter convinced me that it shouldn't. Well, there's your first problem. The arguments on Twitter convinced me that I was wrong. I've listened and learned a hard but valuable lesson throwing himself on the mercy of the progressive mob. Before he made this denouncement of his own work, he had said, and I quote, I just hope we'd move beyond each of us only being able to talk to and from our own little cultural bubble. My responsibility was to research, talk to consultants. Apparently that's wrong now. I'm reminded of the football manager Jose Mourinho who was once asked how could he be a good coach if he was never an exceptionally good player and he replied I didn't know I had to be a horse before I could be a jockey take take any of the great pieces of you know liter literacy art from our time and beyond In the novel Gulliver's Travels, did Jonathan Swift actually travel to an island where he was a giant pinned down by tiny little creatures? Did Mary Shelley really reconstruct in her own laboratory 
a monster constructed by the remains of dead people? Did this actually have to happen? Can we now only write from our own cultural experience ourselves, our own perspective? I fear that the art of storytelling is about to get exceptionally boring very quickly. You know, cliched, cliched responses referencing George Orwell's fantastic and famous work, 1984, make me cringe a little bit too. But I don't think he ever lived as Wilbur Smith being watched by a lot of cameras, being told what he can and can't say. Perhaps he might do now if he were alive today. Abrams announced, this is back to the article, Abrams announced the cancellation of the comic on Saturday, saying in a statement that it had decided to withdraw it with the support of McKean and Gantos, while the intention of the book was to help broaden a discussion about the power of literature to change lives for the better, we recognise the harm and offence felt by many at a time when stereotypes breed division rather than this discourse. The great irony of this is, of course, uh, the people who have you know, lobbied this publishing company to have this shut down, a group called uh, the Asian Author Alliance, and we'll get into them in a minute. Uh, They are saying that, you know, because the specific character in this book was of a particular racial group or religious group, that's what makes it harmful. That's what makes it harmful and stereotypical and wrong and must not be read by anyone They say it's problematic, quote, a problematic book. Despite the fact that the book is all about overcoming the stereotype, overcoming the extremist and divisive stereotypes, overcoming the harm. In response, the Asian Author Alliance said that Abrams, quote, still has far to go in addressing the internal processes that allowed such a book to be greenlit. We hope they'll somehow show the public that they are working to be better. For example, a public pledge to have a more inclusive hiring practice so such problematic stories can be flagged before they cause harm to the community. Not only is it not good enough to not put the book out, you have to change everything you do so we can be sure that you never put out any potentially dangerous stories ever again. And I thought, why why would an alliance of writers... Think about this for a minute. Why would an alliance of writers, a group of writers, apparently professionals in the field, why would they be hurrying and scurrying to ban books? Sometimes you have to pinch yourself to realise, to, to figure out whether you're dreaming or not. Why would writers lobby publishers to get books banned? Again, I always thought it was, it was the excessive powers of things like, say, fascism and totalitarianism 
the state, tyranny, evil, the status quo. I thought these are the powers that ban books, not the writers. Why, if anybody should be in favour of publishing books, even ones they agree with, wouldn't it be the writers? Apparently not. But when you dig into the situation a little deeper, perhaps what's really going on here becomes clear. I decided to look up the Asian Author Alliance because I was curious about what type of authors would lobby to have books banned. What school of writing perhaps they come from. What are their motivations? So I jumped on AsianAuthorAlliance.com and found only two entries. One was the open letter to Abrams, the publisher that was going to publish this novel, saying that they must take it down because it's Islamophobic and stereotypical and harmful and problematic. And the only other entry posted on November 25 is a follow-up to the open letter to Abrams. And I quote, Thank you. It was an upsetting issue that brought us together. It was inspiring to see the community rally so quickly and in such great numbers to speak up against a book that could have done great harm to a marginalised group. What kind of harm? The harm is never articulated, is it? I mean, it's a book. There are lots of books out there that would apparently cause harm, right? Should we ban? Who's who's deciding which books cause harm and which ones don't? And and storytelling is a very powerful thing. To stand up to censorious pressure, to stand up to speak truth to power, to change perceptions, to inspire, to empower. But no. A book where a young boy, the main character in the book, is filled with hateful, extremist dogma, but rather than cause misery and destruction on those around him, he instead becomes inspired to learn and decides for himself thanks to the influence of those people around him who were going to be victims but have now become equals. He decides instead to be part of the ongoing tradition of Western civilization, of enlightenment and learning and self-learning. My God, what a harmful, terrible stereotype. Imagine the harm that could have been done to the community should an innocent eye cast a book over this hellish depiction of something so terrible. It must be banned. It must be stopped. The public must never see this. When I read this, think to yourself, does this sound like an alliance of authors or does it sound like an alliance of activists? Quote, 
The fight for authentic diversity has been an uphill battle, and unfortunately, we still have to speak up against continued harmful stereotypes and appropriation that reinforce the oppressive status quo. What about the stereotype that progressives like to ban things? What are you doing about that stereotype? What about that harmful stereotype? What do you think the best way of addressing that harmful stereotype might be? It's a nuanced conversation and over a thousand voices spoke up in the last 48 hours to say that we don't approve of such a harmful Islamophobic book. I thought, wow, this this community, this Asian Authors Alliance, who is apparently against freedom of art, is apparently a, a group of writers who is against free expression. Amazing, amazingly, I can't believe I'm reading this shit. But apparently we've got a group of writers. I thought they must have some real pull. They must be huge. They must have some swagger. So imagine why I was surprised to see only these two entries on a website that it was apparently, apparently this website only went up in late September of this year. A month ago. September 25th, 2018. And they say, well, this is a brand new website. We're building it. Check us out on Twitter. So I did. The Asian Author Alliance on Twitter, 590 followers on Twitter, joined September 2018. A brand new website and a brand new Twitter account. Now, forgive my cynicism, but it looks to me like a very, very quickly cobbled together idea, a website was slapped up, a very low, very low maintenance website, only two posts there, nothing fancy, and a Twitter account was quickly assembled, and the very first port of call, the very first action just days later was to lobby a publisher to get a quote-unquote Islamophobic book banned, just like that. Now, I'm not defending the people that wrote the book and illustrated the book simply because they don't even have the gumption, the guts, the authenticity to defend their own work. It took a Twitter account with 590 followers started a month ago from a website that was put up a month ago and apparently a petition of 1,000 people, ooh, 1,000, 1,000, just 1,000? That's all it took for them to fold and for them to denounce their own work. So I'm not defending them because, frankly, if you haven't got the guts to defend your own works of art, then you don't deserve defending. I am, however, defending the tradition, the very, the very strongly held, it's a beautiful, rich tradition of storytelling. One more article here that may seem out of place. I wouldn't get this role today. Will and Grace's straight gay star says. Now, I'm not a fan of Will and Grace. My wife is, but I'm not, I don't find that particular brand of humor to be, you know, funny at all. It's kind of cheesy and hammy, but that's fine. It's individual taste. 
I'm not going to call for it to be banned. I would suggest that it's a harmful stereotype. It can exist without me watching it. That's fine. I'm very tolerant like that. You see, that's the other thing too. Being tolerant of things means sometimes allowing things to go past you. without the urge perhaps to necessarily cobble together a website and a Twitter account to give the impression that some kind of alliance that I can't find anything about beyond one month ago exists and is angry and has some kind of authority to tell you what is harmful, what isn't, what's dangerous and what isn't, what should be banned and what should be promoted. From the article, if Will and Grace were being cast for the first time today, Eric McCormack concedes, I probably wouldn't get anywhere near this role. That's because McCormack is straight. And in, in this era of diversity and authenticity in casting, it would be a bold, perhaps even foolish decision to cast anyone but a gay actor in a series that puts the character's sexuality front and centre. I thought the whole point of acting and being a good actor was being able to portray something you are not. Isn't this how actors get applauded? By successfully and convincingly portraying things that they are not? I thought the whole point of being a respected and good storyteller in the world of writing, the art form of storytelling. I thought the whole point was to be able to portray things that engage readers, that send you on a roller coaster of emotions, that inspire you, that captivate you, good or bad. Isn't that the whole point? It's then when you come to realise that this obsession with censorious, with, it's, it's beyond PC. This level of censorship, this level of vile trying to squash things that we disagree with, it goes beyond political correctness at this point. What it represents is the quest to put out the very lightly flickering flame that exists in human souls everywhere, the, f the flame of creativity. If we aren't able to tell stories from other perspectives, you remember the old saying, walk a mile in somebody else's shoes? You can't do that now. If you tried to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes now, you would be banned off Twitter for culturally appropriating someone else's sacred footwear. The art of being to tell, to tell stories from other perspectives, to reach into the mind of a subject and extract it and present it to somebody else. This, this is creativity in its purest form. It's something that we hold very dear in this part of the world, and we should. I mean, writer, whether the writer's alliance is real or not, even if it's one writer calling for books to be banned, 
I bet you I bet you thought it was just the Tech Valley boffins that wanted to ban things, ban ban art, ban writing, censor you. I bet you thought it was just the politicians that you disagree with. I bet you thought it was just those crazy whacked out pundits on TV that wanted to censor stuff. What if it's the writers too? Remember, they said over a thousand signatures, writers and teachers. Teachers. Teachers once used to present quote unquote problematic works of art for students, for them to read, dissect, come to their own conclusions. Now they just ban them. But again, I have my suspicions that this is perhaps a social media campaign considering that the website and the Twitter account started only days before this apparent, this, this groundswell, this barrage of, quid, of criticism hit the publisher. Something to consider. If we can no longer tell stories from other perspectives, if we can no longer be free to explore other perspectives, if we can no longer be free to write or produce works of art, you know, whether they're novels or films, explore the limits of our own understanding and show the world what we find, then to me, this represents more than just political correctness gone mad. This represents a direct attack on the creativity that is born in every human soul itself. Thanks for listening, guys. If you want to become a subscriber, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. If you'd like to subscribe, please do hit the subscribe button. And if you'd like to get in touch, hit me up on Twitter at boogie bumper. Till next time, guys, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.